Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go down and go to hell. I'm going to send that alone. Down for 911, where's your emergency? Hi, this is Sandy. We're pretty one look. Talk to the road. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would who, 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 whose life would be. I harm someone each time I kill someone to be an enormous amount. Especially at first, an enormous amount of, of, of horror and guilt and remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. When the president of the Queensland Cat Protection Society, Kathleen Marshall, was murdered in a frenzied stabbing attack in 1998, everyone, including the police, thought her arch rival and nemesis, Virginia Houston, was responsible. This complicated investigation into her bizarre killing was marred by rumour, innuendo, tarot readings and the spiritualist church. But more importantly, it was the two warring factions of the Cat Protection Society who would stop at nothing to seize power. Forensic science would eventually reveal the stranger-than-fiction truth. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. As a comedy true crime podcast, we use humour to lighten up horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their loved ones. If you think comedy has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. We've had quite a few new ones join our new fancy Patreon program, which we will thank individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our ear-bleeding and soul-caressing first season and ad-free versions of all our regular episodes. As well as exclusive, patron-only, loose and full of juice monthly episodes where we sometimes reveal more about ourselves than is probably advisable. We also talk some true crime. Well, yeah, I mean, we mostly just talk about true crime. Levels above $5 receive stickers and handmade Barney badges. We just sent a bunch of them out, so check your mailbox if you're a new patron. All right, Tara. 
Let's get murdery. Let's. Kathleen Marshall was a 54-year-old vet who lived alone with her 22 cats and two dogs. She worked hard and had pretty much kept to herself after her divorce some years before. All that changed in early 1996 when she unexpectedly met Virginia Houston, treasurer and a director of the Queensland Cat Protection Society. The two middle-aged conservative women met at a tea shop and struck up a conversation. It turns out they had a lot in common. More importantly, they both adored cats. Kathleen told Virginia about the dozens of cats that she owned. Virginia insisted on knowing all of their names and then told her about the Cat Protection Society whose purpose was to promote the welfare of cats. Kathleen was intrigued. If there's one thing Kathleen loved, it was cats. Not the movie adaptation, obviously. Yeah, nobody likes that. Yeah, even Luca Magnotta thinks that movie is too hard on cats. Whoa. Virginia said the society received regular large bequests from Wills, sometimes more than half a million dollars, but she wasn't happy about the way the funds were being handled. She told Kathleen, You should become a member. We could do with someone like you to help us run things properly. I'll put forward your membership. Dr Kathleen Marshall was a brassy broad and soon an avid and vocal member of the society. I do like myself a brassy broad. Kathleen began sorting out their shit, putting bells on collars, laying out balls of wool, basically making the organisation run like a well-oiled cat machine. So much so that when voting for the presidency of the Queensland Cat Protection Society came up in January 1997, the well-liked Kathleen was unanimously voted in. Virginia Houston was ecstatic. Over the months, the women had become quite close. Best friends forever, in fact. Virginia thought they made a super team, her being treasurer and her BFF, the El Presidente. But even a fresh kitty litter tray will start to smell after a while. And a few months after Kathleen's appointment, their friendship got real stinky. (laughs) You just couldn't help yourself, could you? (laughs) Kathleen suddenly announced to the board that there was one director doing a very shitty job and should resign. Virginia was more than surprised to hear it was her. (gasps) Virginia was totally butthurt. Where had this come from? She was bewildered, flabbergasted, flawed, flustered and dumbfounded. Kathleen was supposed to be her friend. It's nothing personal, Kathleen explained, but the cats have to come first. The fuck are you talking about? Thought Virginia. Virginia was furious and she wasn't alone. Many of the 200 strong membership were also enraged. It didn't take long before the society was divided into two distinct camps, Team Kathleen or Team Virginia. There was no middle ground. How could you even suggest that, Tara? (laughs) And just like that, the two women who had been such good mates now despised each other. This was the kind of hate that you spit on the ground at the mention of their name. So they stopped playing in discarded boxes together? Yep. And no longer would they lie outside together, sunning their furry tummies in the morning. Did they still share a water bowl? What do you think? No. (laughs) (laughs) I just wouldn't drink any water that that woman has put her mouth in. But it was going to get worse for Virginia. At the next annual general meeting, it was agreed, with a narrow majority, to transfer the society's headquarters to Kathleen Marshall's home veterinary surgery. Now Kathleen had total control over the Queensland Cat Protection Society. Only Kathleen could decide who was in and who was out. It soon became clear that those who were out included Virginia Houston. 
When she called in at Kathleen's veterinary surgery in February 1998, she was told she was not welcome. Apparently, Kathleen screamed at her. You have no right to call at this office unless there is a general meeting. You are not a director and have no business here. If you don't leave at once, I'll call the police. Virginia replied, I have every right to be here. This is the registered office of the society and I'm a paid up member. Then followed a full-on scrag fight, claws out, death match. Cat fight, meow. Worse, a cat lady fight. Grrr. Witnessed by shocked and appalled passers-by, the middle-aged women punched, kicked, scratched and pulled each other's hair. Eventually, Kathleen made good her threat and dialed the police. She told the operator, There's a mad woman in my house. <laughs> That very night, Virginia Houston wrote to the Australian Securities and Investment Commission demanding a full investigation into the Cat Society's financials. She wrote, I am sure there is corruption there. Now, if you're thinking that this is Australia's Tiger King, you'd be wrong. Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin have got nothing on these two Hellcats. What followed was a pattern of intimidation, late-night phone calls and bags of cat poo in the letterbox. That actually sounds a lot like <laughs> Joe Exotic. Not enough inflatable sex dolls being victimised. Yeah, not enough gunplay. Or meth. Kathleen told friends, I'm sure that dreadful woman is stalking me. She hates me so much I don't doubt that she would take a knife to me if she could. There's no place for her in the cat society. I will stake my life on that. And then she banished Virginia from the cat club. Meanwhile, Virginia was stomping around her house and seething with anger. That bitch Kathleen Marshall! Now expelled from the Cat Protection Society, Virginia turned to her other interests, the spiritualist church and spiritualism, tarot cards and seances. According to their website, spiritualism is a religion, a philosophy and a science based upon the knowledge that our consciousness survives physical death and that we can communicate with the spirit world through mediumship. Their motto is, three things cannot be long hidden. The sun, the moon and the truth. And that bitch, Kathleen Marshall. Yes. Virginia also started going regularly to a cafe in Brisbane owned by a man named Andrew Fitzherbert but more on him later. It was a clear and sunny afternoon on Sunday, March 1st, 1998, when a close friend of Kathleen Marshall's, Rhoda Hall, banged on the door of Kathleen's home veterinary surgery. Rhoda was worried. Kathleen had not turned up at a dinner for single professionals that Kathleen herself had organised the night before. She hadn't answered her phone either, with Rhoda's calls going straight through to voicemail. Rhoda told the television show Forensic Investigators... We started knocking on the door, calling out to Kathleen. I was starting to get a bit concerned, like maybe she had a stroke or something. One of the friends checked down the stairs, then came running back mortified and said, There's flies, blood and a smell. Rhoda went to investigate the downstairs entrance, which was at the front of Kathleen's vet surgery. The first thing that hit her was the cloying, sickly smell of death. It was obvious to her something was dead in the surgery. Looking through a window, Rhoda could see the outline of a human arm covered in blood. That was when the group started to notice blood smeared on the door and all around the front entrance. Panicking, Rhoda called the police. Uniformed cops arrived first. It looked and smelled bad, so they immediately called in homicide and forensic crime scene investigators. 
Initially, they examined the blood-stained door to the surgery. Streaks and splatters of blood covered the door lock and door jam. There were also blood pools on the doormat and splatter patterns of blood on the vegetation to the left-hand side of the doorway. When the door to Kathleen's house was opened, the stench was overpowering and the room was full of hundreds of flies. The surgery appeared to have been trashed in a desperate struggle. With such a large amount of blood present on the floor, investigators used crime scene steps to enable them to walk through the scene without contaminating it. Detectives found a lot of diluted blood staining around a sink and its taps and on a plastic bag on the left-hand side of the sink. Beneath the sink, a bucket contained blood-stained cleaning cloths, indicating that a shitty attempt had been made to clean up. At the back of the surgery, surrounded by debris and broken glass, was the body of Kathleen Marshall. She was face down in a large pool of blood. Her clothes, bloodied and torn, were riddled with stab marks. In fact, a later autopsy would reveal that Kathleen was stabbed a massive 54 times to her face, head, arms, chest and abdomen. Detectives surmised that due to the amount of stab wounds Kathleen received, this attack was personal, as this much rage could only come from someone who really despised her. This was a crime of passion and overwhelming hate. Police told media, Kathleen Marshall has been stabbed repeatedly and she died as she lived, fighting to the end. It seems that from the injuries, it was a frenzied attack and she has tried to defend herself. There was physical evidence of an all-out deathmatch superfight within the surgery. Furniture was broken and walls had indentations like someone had thrown a person at them. Toward the front of the surgery, there was a section of louver windows which had been shattered. Detectives thought that the perpetrator would likely have suffered injuries themselves in the scuffle. As crime scene investigators collected blood samples in the hopes some of it may belong to the killer, some blood-stained clothes in a parcel were found at a nearby Northgate mail centre. The parcel was traced to have come from an Australia Post mailbox down the road from Kathleen's surgery, collected just hours before her body was found. Inside this grisly package were blood-soaked running shoes and clothing. The post box where the parcel was mailed had smears of blood on the lid and the inside of it was blood-stained too. Investigators followed a trail of blood leading from the post box. Could the killer have discarded this package while making good their escape? Forensics examined the mailbox and took blood samples. But this was 1998, Tara, and it would be a week before blood on the shoes could reveal if it contained the DNA of Kathleen or the unknown killer. A blood trail from the post box led to a smashed window of a local shop, which had been broken into. It also led to a public phone box. Police were able to trace the call from that phone box to the Queensland Ambulance Service who had collected a man from that location. He had suffered deep gashes to his legs. But this lead was a dead end. The man was still in the Royal Brisbane Hospital. He was interviewed and charged with breaking into the shop and cleared in the murder of Kathleen Marshall. Back to the crime scene. Investigators collected 25 samples of blood splattered throughout the surgery. At the same time, detectives searched Kathleen's upstairs residence. They were shocked to find it too had been trashed, or so they thought. 
Piles of old newspaper stacks lined the hallways. Plastic bags, cardboard boxes, photographs, household supplies, food and clothing covered the floors. In the kitchen, every surface was covered with dirty dishes, half-eaten food and empty tins of cat food. Upon further investigation, police learnt that this was actually just the way that Kathleen lived. Ah, so she was a hoarder. Yeah, to the extreme. Well, it's her house. She could do what she wants. Absolutely. Amongst the chaos and Baroque Adams family-style furniture was a grand piano. Kathleen Marshall was an avid lover of music. On the piano, some sheet music was left open. It was Chopin's funeral march. Detectives thought this dirge may be significant. Did the killer turn the page specifically to the death march? Or did Kathleen just dig hanging out with her cats and playing death marches? Or maybe she trained several of her cats to play Chopin. (laughs) That gets my vote. While police tried to sift through the upstairs residence looking for clues, the RSPCA were called and Kathleen's 22 cats and two dogs were removed from the house. Meanwhile, SES volunteers combed the neighbourhood for evidence and, more importantly, a possible weapon. Police began a canvas of Kathleen's street and put out a press release wanting to hear from anyone who could help them piece together Kathleen Marshall's last movements during the weekend of her murder. In Kathleen's office, detectives found a diary which contained all the appointments for her vet surgery. Her last appointments, which were on the day of her murder, were at 12.30 in the name of Lachardi with their dog and at 1pm for a man with a cat by the name of John Wilson. John Wilson? That's a rather peopley name for a cat. No, that was a man's name. No, are you sure? No, I'm not sure. The Lachardis were tracked down and Pauline Lachardi told police as they were leaving... I saw a man walking down the road toward Kathleen's place and he had a Siamese seal point cat. The ears stand out. He was holding it to his chest. I said to Kathleen, this looks like your one o'clock appointment. And she said, probably it would be. Police now had to find John Wilson, the man with the Siamese cat. Don't you mean police now had to find John Wilson, the Siamese cat and the man he come in with? No, I don't. Oh, pity. (laughs) Detectives examined Kathleen's answering machine and ascertained she did not answer calls after 6pm on Thursday. It appeared that Kathleen had been murdered sometime after that on Thursday night. Cartons of milk and newspapers delivered on Friday morning were found in her front yard. A forensic entomologist estimated the time of death at somewhere between 9pm on Thursday the 26th of February and 3am the following morning. Detectives began talking to all of Kathleen's associates to establish who might have wanted her dead. Some said it had something to do with the Queensland Cat Protection Society. Most, Tara, they just pointed their fingers straight at Virginia Houston. One of its members was asked how he would describe the Cat Protection Society. He answered with, Off the planet! There was no dealing with them! Totally fanatical! When he was asked if he thought passionate feelings in society could have led to murder, he replied, Yes, quite frankly, yes. <laughs> I'm surprised it hasn't already. Detectives were surprised that the Cat Protection Society of Queensland was larger than they thought and there was quite a lot of cash coming in from donations, bequests and wills. They learned that there had been some years of friction, especially in relation to finances. And there were two distinct camps, Tara. You were either in Kathleen Marshall's camp or you were in Virginia Houston's camp. There was definitely no in-between. Uh-uh, no sitting on the fence. No way, that fence was electrified. (laughs) Police told media, 
what has emerged is a story of feline fanatics engaged in bitter brawling. The press went wild with this, and now the whole country knew the names Kathleen Marshall and Virginia Houston, the former director and treasurer of the society, and according to Virginia, she had been unceremoniously and unfairly dumped. Everyone in the society had something to say. Rhoda Hall, who was clearly in the Kathleen camp, told media... Virginia seemed to think that the society was her baby, and I believe she was completely devastated that she was actually removed from the board. The word around the cat circles of Brisbane was Virginia had been smack-talking Kathleen, saying... She is a lying, deceitful woman who has used money from the organisation to feather her own nest. Pretty much the whole of the Cat Protection Society had no doubt that Virginia killed Kathleen right from day one. As Rhoda Hall was standing with uniformed police waiting for the detectives to arrive just after discovering Kathleen's body, Virginia Houston did a slow drive-by in her white Commodore station wagon, eyeballing the scene. Oh, that's so gangster. So is. Rhoda was horrified and gasped. A police officer came up to her and asked, What's wrong? She told him, The murderer has just driven past. Police had themselves a decent suspect. But was Virginia's hatred of Kathleen so strong that she stabbed her 54 times? A later autopsy stated that due to the nature of the injuries and the fact that the stab wounds were so shallow, it would suggest either a weak man or a woman had done it. Their words, not my words. Police began to centre their investigation on Virginia Houston. Meanwhile, Virginia did not go into hiding and even did interviews on TV telling the public... I've done nothing. I've got nothing to hide, so I'm quite happy to talk to the police whenever they want to talk to me. We'll be back with the conclusion of the killing of the Cat Queen after this. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. What time is it, Barney? It's true crime nerd time. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true or fiction crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your crime-obsessed itch. (laughs) Are you itchy, Tara? All the time. You can just record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, and we'll read it out. (laughs) It's so exciting, isn't it? (laughs) 
<laughs> wow, you just can't contain yourself. You're just uh, busting uh, out well, all over. Well, I'm pretty excited about this one because it's from our regular contributor, Tracy Stewart. Ah, staff writer Tracy Stewart. That's right. And she tells us about the book Working Stiffs. Oh, well, that could be about any number of things now, couldn't it? <laughs> and she writes, Everybody Tells a Story. This is a tale of a woman's decision to switch over from her residency as a surgeon to training as a medical examiner. You know, CSI, Criminal Minds, the other CSI and the other <laughs> other CSI, etc. Well, forget them. They fit almost as well into the fantasy genre as Game of Thrones or anything with werewolves or vampires. All of my favourite hospital and CSI shows involve werewolves and vampires. Thank you very much. I grew up watching Quincy M.E., I'm as fond of Jack Klugman from that show as I am of Oscar Madison. Ah, oh, he's a messy man, isn't he, Oscar That's Madison? That's the reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it was mostly his fault that I was shocked as I was, which was extremely, <laughs> when I grew up a little and found out that doctors can't always diagnose illness or determine cause of death with certainty. Quincy and shows like it have always made it seem like it was very basic puzzle solving. It might be nice to live there where the killer is always caught in 48 minutes and the disease is always cured or at least identified. Honestly, I remember being very confused and gobsmacked the first time I saw something that was, you know, real. On CSI, there is an impatient sighing oh, when, oh, when they have to wait a few hours for DNA results. Turns out a tox screen can take a couple of weeks. And that shocked me. Need a copy of a report from another department? Give it a few months. Dr. Melanek changed her concentration from treating the living to examining the dead in 2001. She trained in New York City. The idea that she was involved with the aftermath of 9-11 was one of the reasons I opted for the book. It was a moment of temporary insanity. To this day, I flinch when a plane flies low. Between that and the basic subject matter, this book is not for the squeamish, but it's a story well told, with humour and compassion, and passion. Even while I was cringing, I enjoyed it. Well, thanks, Tracy. That book is Working Stiff by Tanya Eby, the details of which will be in the show notes. Now, Tara, you would know this. If you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for instructions on how to contribute. So, Barney, 2020 just doesn't let up, does it? Nope. I'm not looking forward to the murder hornets. I am. Wake me up when 2020's over. We don't have time for that. Ugh. Is everything going on in life and the way this year is panning out interfering with your ability to be happy? Is something stopping you from achieving your goals? Are you lonely in isolation, possibly missing your old life? Or perhaps all of this is just making other stuff you have to deal with even harder. We're both big believers in therapy and there is no better time than now to take care of your mental health. BetterHelp is there for you, no matter where you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that suits you. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's professional counselling that produces real results, not self-help. You can get in touch with your counsellor at any time. You get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. All without having to sit in a peopley, germy waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling, and financial aid is available. 
And it's a service you can access worldwide. You can be communicating with licensed professional counsellors who have a broad range of expertise and specialise in areas such as LGBTQI plus matters, grief, self-esteem, anger, trauma and family conflicts. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional and very affordable. If you want to start living a happier life, connect with BetterHelp. And as a Bloody Murder listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, dot com forward slash Bloody Murder. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counsellor that suits you. If you don't believe us, check out the dozens of positive testimonials on their website. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash bloody murder. I'm Annie from Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm Johanna from Vienna, Austria. We are the hosts of Fresh Hell, your international podcast that covers murder, mystery and the macabre throughout history. Are you interested in the 3,569 ways your household could have killed you in the Victorian era? Do you know how malaria and syphilis played a role in the John List family murders? And have you ever wondered what Prince Albert's sex chair had to do with the murder of Stanford White? Okay, nothing. It had nothing to do with it. We're still telling you about it, though. It's a pretty great sex chair. If you're looking for another show that talks about Ted Bundy, this is probably not the podcast for you. But if you're looking for two women that cover lesser-known cases from all over the world with a lot of background information... So much background information that you will rock your local pub quiz from now on. Then find Fresh Hell Podcast on your favorite podcast app. We also have German cannibals. See you soon. Tschüss. And now, the conclusion of the killing of the Cat Queen. Police definitely wanted to talk to Virginia Houston. Around a week after the murder, she was hauled into the cop shop where detectives grilled her for eight hours. On both sides. She later described the interview for the TV show Forensic Investigators. I said I had a lot of information, and I did. I had a lot of information about the society, inside knowledge of the society. And as a good citizen, I wanted to help the police. Virginia admitted she had animosity towards Kathleen Marshall. She also didn't deny she had the shits with other board members of the Queensland Cat Protection Society and that she forced her way into Kathleen's house some weeks before the murder and participated in a punch-on with her. The police seem to have this idea of hate, but I've never hated anyone in my life. I disliked the way that she behaved and the way that she treated people. But as for being violent, well, that just isn't me. Detectives remained unconvinced. Virginia appeared way too confident and all of her answers seemed rehearsed. Detectives decided to ask her directly if she'd killed Kathleen Marshall. I was just, I was just stunned. And and that was when I realised that they were just looking at me. I couldn't believe it. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head and I can't believe this. So I just said, no, I've done nothing. I'm sitting there in just disbelief that anyone could even ask me such a question. Still, police were not prepared to clear her and believe she warranted further investigation. The next day, detectives rocked up at Virginia's house, executed a search warrant on her home and her car. Virginia told the cops, 
Well, you don't need a search warrant. You can search my house, take my fingerprints, whatever. Police began combing her property in search of physical evidence such as blood, hairs and fibres, and more importantly, the knife used to kill Kathleen Marshall. Virginia was thoroughly unimpressed by this. To have police raids and SES people going through your property trying to find a knife or something, you just go around in shock. I just can't believe something like this is happening. Investigators sprayed gallons of luminol around her house and on her car to detect any traces of blood but found nothing. Next, detectives checked Virginia's alibis. They started with her tarot card reader, Patrick Hanrahan. It appeared to police that the members of the Cat Society and the friends of Kathleen Marshall and Virginia Houston were all heavily involved in spiritualism, tarot and psychic readings. According to the TV show Forensic Investigators, when detectives first went to interview Patrick Hanrahan, he refused to talk to them. That was unless he could read their cards to find out whether they were persons suitable to be spoken to. Ah, is that how you find out? Yep. We don't have any tarot cards, do we? Nah, I guess we'll have to use you know cards. Okay. Um, is draw four a good thing or a bad thing in this situation? <laughs> I think it's always a bad thing. After agreeing to have their cards read, detectives were told by Hanrahan that Virginia Houston was with him until 4pm on the afternoon of Kathleen's murder, having a tarot reading. Then Virginia dropped him off at a medical appointment. A woman named Corinne Welsh provided an alibi for Virginia from 5pm until 11pm on Thursday night. The two women had spent that time doing a mail-out for the Cat Protection Society. According to Corinne, the two had been stuffing envelopes for hours. Is that a euphemism? Maybe. Hey, baby. <laughs> hey, baby! <laughs> but when police pushed her, she admitted that Virginia was not with her the entire evening. There was a window of time where Virginia could have slipped out and murdered Kathleen Marshall. Well, you know, mail outs. You want to do something to liven them up, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> now, although this is interesting, Tara, the whole direction of the investigation changed with just one phone call. Detectives were told by forensics that they had examined the blood at the crime scene. One of the blood samples was identified as Kathleen Marshall's. The other was of an unknown male. <gasps> A male. Blood found on cardboard below the shattered louver windows had yielded DNA that wasn't Kathleen's or Virginia's, but that of a man. Hmm. Man. 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 G'day, love. Sergeant Michael Holloman, crime scene examiner, said, It was rather exciting news to find male blood, but until we link it to someone, it has no value. Police began taking blood from male members of the Queensland Cat Protection Society. 42 men signed a consent form that had them admitting to the fact they were a suspect in the murder of Kathleen Marshall and hereby give their consent for police to take blood and hair samples. Victor Lachati told media, When I was asked to give DNA, I realised the last thing you should do is refuse, because that never looks good. And if you give it, everything is kosher, and they can come up with the right answer. It means you're in the clear. <laughs> I like his optimism. All 42 men were found not to be a match and cleared. Police moved on to other men in Virginia Houston's life. They started with her ex-boyfriend. Let's call him Mike. Detectives located Mike staying at a boarding house in Fortitude Valley. I hear it's very lovely there. Not from me, you don't. <laughs> uh, that's not what I heard from you. <laughs> 
Police asked Mike for DNA samples, but he flatly refused. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? No. I need it. I need it all. I need me cells, mate. Yep. All of them. Every single one of them. They're all quite vital. So detectives put him under surveillance, Tara. On a trip to a local shopping centre, you know those ones in Fortitude Valley, they're really good, mm. detectives observed Mike spitting on the pavement. After he moved on, they took a sample and sent it off for DNA profiling. The next morning, detectives received a phone call from the owner of the boarding house where Mike was saying. He told them, hey, Mike's just packed his bags and jumped in a taxi. <laughs> Police tracked the cab to a transit centre in Brisbane where Mike had bought a bus ticket to Sydney under a false name. Well, I mean, Mike's not his real name. You just gave him that name. Maybe you used his real name. It just wasn't Mike. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. What? <laughs> I like confusing you. Mike was quickly taken into custody. Realising he was in the shit, pretty quickly Mike volunteered his DNA and his fingerprints and his clothes and his bag. He just took off everything and handed it to yeah, them, essentially. Just take all of it. Yeah. Mike told the cops, You can test it all. There's no blood on it. I'm not involved in this crime in any way, shape or form. Mike was telling the truth, Tara. Mm. He really was. His DNA didn't match and there was no trace of blood on his clothes or his bag. Frustrated police had wasted their time on another red herring called Mike. Meanwhile, DNA was collected from more associates of Kathleen Marshall and Virginia Houston. While tarot reader Patrick Hanrahan was being tested, police learned from him about another of Virginia's allies, palm reader Andrew Fitzherbert, who worked at the Spiritualist Church, ran a tea shop and was the de facto partner of Ruth Bennett. Ruth was a minister at a spiritualist church and a close friend of Virginia Houston. Detectives put Fitzherbert on the list but thought that this was just another male to be excluded. Another man who had yet to be excluded was John Wilson, Kathleen's 1pm cat appointment on the day of her murder. Police could not find Wilson and no one knew who he was. Maybe they should put up some posters. Of the cat. Last one, John Wilson. (laughs) Police issued another press release looking for the mysterious Siamese cat owner John Wilson, but no one came forward. Was this yet another dead end? The break in the case happened on June 12th when a photo of Ruth Bennett nursing a Siamese cat appeared in the Korea Mail newspaper. Ruth Bennett and Andrew Fitzherbert actually had two Siamese cats and the Lachardis had seen a man carrying a Siamese cat walking towards Kathleen's house on the day of her murder. Victor Lachardi had told the police at the time, Oh, he was standing within a foot of my car as I was backing out. I asked him to move. I thought if I mess up the clutch, I'll just hit him and the cat. He didn't respond. He didn't move. He just stood there. Was this the elusive John Wilson? Or more importantly, could Victor and his wife Pauline Lachardi identify this man as Andrew Fitzherbert? An author of several books, the spiritualist Fitzherbert was described by people who knew him as a pacifist and a good friend. There was no photo on record of Andrew Fitzherbert, no driver's licence and nothing with the Queensland Police or any other police force in Australia. But after much digging, detectives managed to find a reasonably recent passport photo taken of him only a few years prior. That photo of Fitzherbert and headshots of eight similar-looking men were shown to the Lachardis in the usual format of a photo board. Pauline Lachardi said... They asked us to have a look at some photos and see if we could identify the man. 
I picked, oh, I think it was number three. No, wasn't. It's a nine. I picked, oh, I think it was number nine. Just down on the left-hand corner of the board. The only difference that I could see in that picture was the smile on the picture. The man I saw was definitely not smiling. Smiling in a passport photo, hey, that's weird. The Lachardis were able to positively identify Andrew Fitzherbert, a man that they'd never met, from the photo board as the person that they'd seen outside Kathleen Marshall's residence on Thursday, February 26th. On Tuesday, June 23rd, 1998, detectives paid a visit to the home of Andrew Fitzherbert. It seemed Fitzherbert was expecting them, and before the cops could say a word, Andrew Fitzherbert asked them, Do you have any grounds at all for associating me in any way with this matter? The detectives countered by asking him if he'd had contact with Kathleen Marshall. Fitzherbert replied with, No. When asked if he'd ever met Kathleen Marshall, he replied, I've never met Kathleen Marshall at all under any circumstances. All I know of Kath, I have met Virginia Houston. I know Virginia Houston fairly well. When pressed to answer if he'd ever been to her house, he replied, I don't even know where she lives. That was when Ruth Bennett came to the door and said, He wouldn't even know her if he tripped over her, okay? The detectives explained that they just wanted to take a DNA sample from him so they could eliminate him from their inquiries. Ruth came back with, Oh, you've got to test Andrew because he made an application to join the Cat Society and he was rejected. So that's enough to murder a person. Really? I mean, we've got alibis for the whole weekend. Detectives must have thought, thanks, now we have a motive. (laughs) A lame motive, but a motive nonetheless. Andrew Fitzherbert refused to give samples, saying, Well, I think I'm going to have to say no. No. I am not going to give you any samples. I will give you samples if and when. Well, I'm not going to give you samples. It's as simple as that. Police told Fitzherbert that he had been identified as being at the surgery on the day of the murder and that they had checked his phone records and there had been a call from his house to Kathleen's surgery two days prior to the killing. At this point, Andrew Fitzherbert began to physically and violently shake. Police took him into custody, where for the next six hours, the only thing he said was, No comment. Detectives classified Fitzherbert as someone who was DNA aware. He sat in the one position for over six hours, not going to the toilet, declining any food or drink, with his arms folded, not moving to ensure that he wouldn't leave any traces of his DNA. With nothing to hold him on, Fitzherbert was released. But they had caught him in a lie. The denial of never ringing Kathleen's surgery was key. Detectives knew the phone call had gone to Kathleen Marshall from the Bennett Fitzherbert residence two days before Kathleen had been killed and was probably the call that set up John Wilson's 1pm appointment. But the police needed to get the DNA of Peter Fitzherbert. First, they tried to compel him with a court order, but a magistrate ruled there was insufficient evidence. But clever detectives had another idea. There may have been insufficient evidence to obtain a court order for his DNA, but there was enough probable cause to get a search warrant for his house. When they banged on his door to execute the warrant, Fitzherbert told them, I'd prefer if you don't come through the door. Did he want them to use the window? I think he wanted them to climb down the chimney. Well, that makes sense. When the police told him it would only take a few seconds and then they'd get out of his hair, he replied, Well, I'm not giving you my consent. It's as simple as that. 
While police couldn't force Andrew Fitzherbert to give blood unless they were prepared to charge him with murder, the search warrant meant they could seize items that contained his DNA. Ruth Bennett was abusive toward the detectives as they looked around her house. They'd already spent eight hours that day with Fitzherbert and then failed in an attempt for a court order. Now the cops were at her house again. She considered this a case of police harassment and told them as much. I consider this a case of police harassment. That's what this is. Detectives ignored her and took away Fitzherbert's hairbrush, toothbrush, pillowcase and sheets, some dirty socks, a used coffee cup and a handkerchief which he had in his pocket. All the items were tested, but the snot in the hanky had the good stuff. It contained the DNA that put him at the scene of Kathleen Marshall's murder. Andrew Fitzherbert was arrested and charged with the killing. Fitzherbert could have told the cops that it wasn't his handkerchief, but he didn't. And now with the charge of murder, police could insist on a blood sample for comparison testing. When it came back from the lab, the blood was an exact match for the blood that was located in the surgery at Kathleen Marshall's residence. 17 months after the death of Kathleen Marshall, Andrew Fitzherbert went to trial. Fitzherbert pleaded not guilty to the murder. Prosecutors claimed the most damning evidence was his DNA at the scene. The jury was told DNA tests revealed that the chance that the DNA would match with another person was one chance in 14 with 10 zeros after it. There isn't even a word for that higher number. That's like 4 times 10 to the power of 15. A quadrillion bazillion? Oh, they made that up so they could count bowlers. <laughs> Paul Rutleg, the Crown Prosecutor, told the court... The extraordinary odds shows beyond any shadow of a doubt the blood at the scene is that of Andrew Fitzherbert. No motive for the murder was ever offered by the Crown. Fitzherbert steadfastly maintained his innocence, repeatedly declaring he had never met Dr Kathleen Marshall. During the trial, Justice Mackenzie told Virginia Houston when she was on the stand, We are not here to hold some type of royal commission into the Cat Society when she tried to explain a dispute between some of the members. Well, you should be. It's being horribly mismanaged. The current directors think they run the bloody world and everybody else is just their servants. And don't you get me started on the situation with the biscuits. Back when I was a director of the company, we used to have all kinds of... Order in the court. What? Although Fitzherbert's alibi evidence was quite strong, the DNA, as well as the phone call to the surgery and the identification from the Lachardis proved far too compelling for the jury. In his closing statement, the prosecutor said, These are amazing times, but they're times the likes of Andrew Richard Fitzherbert has good reason to fear, every good reason to fear. The ability to identify those guilty of a crime from DNA has reached an awesome stage. An awesome stage indeed, Tara. <laughs> Gnarly. After three hours of deliberation, the jury found Andrew Fitzherbert guilty of murder and he was sentenced to 15 years jail. In sentencing Fitzherbert, Justice Mackenzie said, This is a crime of which you would not have been convicted except for the recent explosion in the advances in genetics. Rhoda Hall said, When he was found guilty, I don't think I was really surprised, but you've got to have a reason to do something. So where was the motive for this murder? And the only thing we could pick up with the motive was in the cat. Andrew Fitzherbert and Ruth Bennett were the loving owners of two Siamese cats, Jasper and Zilla. 
Zilla went missing the day Kathleen Marshall's body was found. Zilla was pregnant and some suspect that he presented himself with the cat and an argument ensued. Or maybe Kathleen found out Fitzherbert was spying for Virginia Houston and something happened to Zilla the cat? Yeah, there was a lot of rumours flying around. But Kathleen loved cats. She just wouldn't do anything bad to them, yeah. I wouldn't think. Maybe yeah. the motive was just that his application to the Cat Society was rejected. Or he was like an assassin in league with Virginia Houston. Oh, that's quite plausible too. <laughs> yeah, a psychic assassin. Either way, Andrew Fitzherbert is still claiming that he's innocent. After the trial, Virginia Houston told media, There's a lot of people who can't, they just find it so frustrating they were put through all this pain and suffering and trauma and, and they, they still don't quite know what happened. Yeah, it's all about you, Virginia. Well, of course it fucking is. On September 20th, 2000, Andrew Fitzherbert had his appeal heard in the Brisbane Supreme Court. He decided to represent himself in these proceedings. Mm. No, boy, not a smart move. No, uh, no. He argued in court. The documents generated in the course of the DNA profiling were faked. My contention is that I was convicted by deliberate fraud on the part of the staff of the laboratory by whom the profiling was done. So he's saying he was framed? Yeah, that is what he argued. Problem was he presented no evidence to support it. Yeah, see, that's why it's a good idea to use an actual lawyer because they know stuff about, like, evidence. Yeah, the appeal was dismissed. So, yeah, um, he never admitted guilt. The book Five Drops of Blood by Paul Wilson analysed the DNA evidence which was used to convict Andrew Fitzherbert of Kathleen's murder and states that he was wrongly convicted. So, yeah, it discredits the DNA evidence. Yeah, look, I, I, I tried to read it. It was pretty technical. But um, what, what, what they were basically saying is those odds were wrong. It was more like one in 100,000. Not uh, one in 14 gazillion bajillions. Yeah, and also their blood was on top of each other. The uh -huh. Kathleen's and the unknown assailant, which was later identified as Andrew Fitzherbert. Uh -huh. But they were saying that the blood underneath, the DNA was degraded like it was older. It had been there for what? They weren't both deposited at the same time. Which is still really bizarre, right? Because why would his blood have been there earlier? Well, that's right. Yeah, it's really, really strange. Mm. But uh, he actually, he had the Innocent Project supporting his cause, so they obviously thought that he had grounds to be proclaiming his innocence. Well, all of that came to nothing because Andrew Fitzherbert was released on parole in 2014, 14 years after he was handed his conviction. So, yeah, he got out one year early because he was a model prisoner. Apparently now he just grocery shops and ventures to the library, trying to resume his life. His 66th birthday was celebrated with a low-key meal at a restaurant. He's remarkably sanguine about it. There's no burning anger, said lawyer Joe Crowley, who was preparing a petition for pardon. But he's interested in the matter and having his name cleared, he added. Yeah, I'm still interested in the matter. So what of the Queensland Cat Protection Society? Well, huh? Tara, well, well, well. They completely imploded, going into provisional liquidation in April 2000, and then pretty much they were gone by September 2000, which was the same month he had his appeal. Um, they're gone. It's like they never existed. Wow. Though I did find some references to an old court document about a missing $200,000 from the society. So maybe that was a motive for Kathleen's murder. Stolen funds. Could be. I... There's so much more to this story that we don't know. Yes. It's frustrating, isn't it? It really is. <sighs> I have but one question. 
Yep. Maybe you can answer it for me, Tara. Uh, I don't know. I haven't been able to answer all the questions. What is Aussie As? Aussie As are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Yes, I would. 39-year-old Northern Territory resident Brendan Edhart had a plan to make himself some sweet dollary doos. Some what? Dollary doos. What the fuck are they? <laughs> you mean what in the wackety smackety of dollary doos, Mr. I make up words all the time? Do you mean money? Yes. Nobody calls it that. I know. I googled Australian slang for money and it came up as the first result and I thought it was so fucking ridiculous that I had to go with it. So back to the uh, dollary do making scheme. Brendo went to Adelaide in South Australia and used an inheritance to buy five kilos of cannabis and a Holden SV6, even though he didn't have a licence. According to Adelaide Now, inside the car, he was carrying 10 packages of cannabis in a blue esky in the boot, two cannabis plants on the back seat, two drug pipes, a video camera and a loaded 22 rifle. Now, you'd think you'd want to be driving like a nana going to church on Sunday with that stash to avoid getting pulled over, right? Yeah, I'd say that. Well, in Brendo's case, you would be wrong. Not only was Brendo smoking weed as he drove, but he was also speeding, and that's not all. Brendo was also masturbating as he sped down the Stewart Highway and was filming himself masturbating with a video camera. And they say men can't multitask. Brendo was pulled over by police after they measured his speed at 130 kilometres or 85 miles per hour. They were able to ascertain that he actually reached speeds of over 150 kilometres or 93 miles per hour. Do you know how they figured that out, Barney? Uh, oh, no. Yes. The self-porn video? Hey. <laughs> Yep, while not the main focus of his cinematography, in the video he made of himself spanking the monkey, the gauge, <laughs> the speed gauge was visible. Oh, Brendo. Brendo said he panicked when he was pulled over by the cops and told them that he, um, oh, found the drugs at a rest stop north of Cooper Pedy and uh, decided to take him home for personal use, eh? Brendo pleaded guilty to six charges, including carrying an unregistered and loaded firearm, driving dangerously and driving unlicensed. Was there a charge for the, you know, wanking? Uh, wanking in a whilst wanking, driving? Wanking on wheels. Wanking whilst driving? Uh, was, That's got to be a charge. He was certainly charged with wanking on wheels, yes. Right. That okay. uh, carries a $2,000 fine, I believe. Magistrate Sue Oliver described the circumstances of his arrest as being bizarre, to say the least. According to the NT News, she went on to throw some shade his way by saying, You're not a particularly young man. This is the sort of conduct you might expect a much younger, immature person to engage in. The offences really just speak of a person who doesn't have much regard for rules and regulations overall. It causes you some embarrassment to have this aired in a public forum. Perhaps there's something to be learned from that. She's right, you know. I like how she brings up that, you know, you're not a particularly young man. You're 39 years old. I mean, you know, wanking and driving, that's that's something you do in your 20s. That's kid stuff. That's something you do in your 20s. Yeah, or late teens. Late teens. Yeah, early 20s. Yeah, yeah. it's not even illegal until you're 25 in this country. It 
<laughs> no, no. If you're over the age of 25, no. I, look, I, I don't think anyone should masturbate and drive. I, I think it's dangerous. It's like using a mobile phone. It'd probably, probably be even worse. <laughs> I'm sure it's quite distracting. Brendo was sentenced to three years in prison with a non-parole period of 12 months. He was also fined $2,000 for wanking and driving over the age of 25 and disqualified from driving for six months. Guess he'll have to jerk off on a bicycle now. Well, he can't. He's in jail. Oh, no. Sucks to be Brendo. Well, they've got exercise bikes, I guess. Ah, well, you know, it gives you the similar effect, I suppose. Mm. Do they have video cameras is my question. Well, they do in every room, don't they? In the exercise room. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like CCTV. Yeah, it's not yeah. really the same as, as being able to choose your own shots. No, you're not exactly an auteur if you're not filming, <laughs> filming it yourself, are you? No, you can't yeah. exactly Tarantino that shit up. Well, no. can you? <clears throat> that's how Awesome Wells got started, you know. Ah, I know. Uh, Coen Brothers too, although, I mean, at least they had each other to film it. Yeah. So this brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you to Kent Park Street from Australia. Hey, Kent. And Sookie Ridgely and Kelly Ander from the United States. Thank you so much, all of you. We'd also like to thank Lorraine and our Facebook moderating team. You know who else is awesome? Who? Me. Ah, wrong. And my beard. Our patrons, we love them. We love them so much. We've been holding monthly giveaways. The winner of our May prize is my birthday twin, Lindsay Tanaka, and she's won a pair of Bloody Murder leggings. For our June prize, we're giving away a Hey Baby pack. Hey Baby! Consisting of a T-shirt, face mask and badge. For a chance to win, be a Bloody Murder patron at a level $5 or above. Now, we've had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Patreon program. So thank you to... Robin Matushek. Don Gregg. Zoe Shaw. Louisa Gates. Simi Kelleher. Angela Barassa Owens. Nicola Clayton. Tasha Sanders-Richardson. And Sandy Dean. Thank you so much, all of you. I'm like shaking you with love right now. Yeah, That's probably much not the best way to love people, is it? If you'd like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink. <laughs> That's my thirsty voice. There's a PayPal donate button there too. Because 2020 is a raging twat waffle, we have some new Bloody Murder merch that we never expected to have ever. COVID-19 face masks. Stay plague-free and super stylish and help MedShare. They do all those things, baby. Bloody Murder, in partnership with Threadless, will donate a portion of the sale of each face mark to MedShare. MedShare is a humanitarian aid organisation dedicated to improving the quality of life, people, communities and our planet by sourcing and directly delivering surplus medical supplies and equipment to communities in need around the world. More than ever, MedShare's work is vital. We also now have Bloody Murder socks, a new Hey Baby design and... Badges. Not handmade Barney badges, but possibly just as good. Or not. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, they are pretty no, sweet, they're, not, they're probably better than mine, actually. Well, they probably don't have as many pubes attached to Oh, them. come on. <laughs> I do it in the nude so I don't ruin my clothing, yeah, you know, know, with stuff. You well, know, I, I have to. It's practical. That's it's a practical right. decision. I've been Barney Black. <laughs> and I've been Tara Sarabin. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us spread harmony through swearing and achieve higher can-can kicks. (laughs) (laughs) You like that? I do. I like that. Yeah. 
Follow us uh, through our Facebook page. Join our wonderful Facebook group or on Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod. And on Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Don't forget to check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes and links to our fabulous Threadless merchandise. Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Hey Tara, we had this email from a listener by the name of Beth and she writes, I love you guys, but if I get true crime nerd time stuck in my head one more time, I'm flying to the other side of the earth just to ask you politely to please refrain from playing it. I'm not one for confrontations. <laughs> my question is about the intro and exit music, which is great. I've, I've got to know who the quotes are from. There's a Dharma and a Bundy and a Wernos, but who the heck? But what the heck is that screeching bird about? Please let me know. I've got to satisfy that itch. She's itchy. Yeah, she is. That's Beth in Virginia in the USA. Well, I wrote back to her and uh, told her the answer, and I thought our listeners might also be interested. Um, so Barney wrote the music and put the theme all together because he's kind of a genius, but don't tell him that because he no. hates compliments. Here's a list of the voice samples that he used. So the first one is the Golden State Killer Breathing. <gasps> During the Catherine Burney trial, as uh, they came out of court, a man yelled at them, you stinking bastards. So that's that guy. Arthur Shawcross, a horrible serial killer, did the, at least I won't be lonely. The 911 call from Sandra Herald was from when her chimpanzee, Travis, attacked her friend, Charlotte Nash, and nearly killed her because he ate her face. The Police Coming is from an Aussie as that we did in episode three on Daniel McConnell. He was a bloody legend. Oh, that was an Aussie as, yeah. Uh, Ray Martin talks about Roger Rogerson from episode 29. Number seven is Jeffrey Dahmer. Then we have Chopper talking about Carl Williams. The wobbly bottom. Cherubic. Cherub faced. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, um, we did Chopper on episode 38 and Carl Williams in episode 53. Um, the screeching is actually ancient Aztec human sacrifice whistles. So um, go to our merch shop if you want to get yourself some of those. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously they couldn't have had recordings of that, but they've actually managed to, to remake the whistle. They, no, they didn't remake. Actually, they couldn't have recordings of that, but they actually had an ancient whistle and they, they've read, read some tablets that said how you use it. So um, I always think it sounds like an angry horse. Yeah. Then we had Ted Bundy and Aileen so um, I hope no one's itchy anymore. I hope I've, I've scratched you off to your satisfaction. Oh. Kathleen told Virginia about the dozens of cats that she owned. Virginia insisted on knowing all of their names. Kevin. Linda, who licks a lot. Joaquin. Juniper. Sylvester. Rocky. Sexy Rambo. Sly. Ira. Sugarpuss. Mr. Diddles. Cambo. Karen. Ignatius. Sure. Meowsy Tung. Gladys. Gladys Jr. Barbarino. Selena Kyle. Ian, destroyer of curtains. Fat Freddy's other cat. Leslie. Top and bottom cat. Laszlo. Barbara Man cat. And Evan Dandelion. <laughs> <laughs> well, she asked. She, she did. She asked. did ask. You she did. asked. Hey, Virginia, you did ask. Yeah, we're just going to tell you. Consider yourself schooled. And also, you'd have to remember them all because there will be a test on this. She hadn't answered her phone either, with Rhoda's calls going straight through to voicemail. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> I'm not here at the moment. Oh, can you, actually, can you do that in the... 
in the voice. I oh, know that's it would you be Kathleen's voice. voice, wouldn't it? Hey, oh, you're cool. Oh. <laughs> you sounded like Shaggy. <laughs> it wasn't me. Well, I'm giving up. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. I'm not here at the moment. Feel free to leave a message. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> I don't think that was her thing. Yeah. No. No. What about um? I like that we haven't made any references to like pussy because we're talking about cats. Do you know? I reckon that most people would have, but we didn't, and I'm proud of us. Thank you. I, I was holding back, man. Oh, even I thought of it, but then I was like, nah, nah too th- obvious. Let's not go for the long, low-hanging fruit. The low-hanging pussy. Let's not go for the low-hanging pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. I ruined it, really. We had it, but now it's hey, gone. Are you doing Rhoda? Yeah. All right. One of the friends checked down the stairs, then came back mortified and said, There's flies, blood, and a smell. That shouldn't be funny. Oh, look up this. There's flies, blood, it and like a, a smell. Co- it smelled like a Coca-Cola commercial, didn't it? Oh, I see all the cans, cans of cold Coke, flies, blood, and a smell. Oh, get them here from Whippo and Dazza in the morning. You think I should do that again? I think I might have to do that again. <laughs> No, it was kind of perfect. Maybe it was too perfect. Maybe you need to do it again, but less good. One of the friends checked down the stairs and then came running back mortified and said, there's flies, blood and a smell. Okay, how was that? (laughs) (laughs) Let me try. There's flies, blood and a smell. Yum. No. (laughs) And she writes, everybody tells a story. No. She didn't write that at all. <laughs> oh, good, because I'm not sure that they do. I mean, some people don't particularly. Some people prefer to play the fiddle. And you stand by that statement? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it was kind of a mandala, you know. Like, I've already said it. It's been thrown out there. I'm not going to hold on to it. It's done. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. The next day, detectives rocked up at Virginia's house, executed a search warrant on her home and her car. Virginia told the cops, <laughs> All right, I gotta get ready for this. <laughs> I'm gonna strap myself in too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I gotta do some stretches. <laughs> yeah, you got your helmet on? Virginia told the cops, Well, you don't need a search warrant. You can search my house, take my fingerprints, whatever. How about a strip search? I'm up for it. Here, give me a mammogram while you're at it. You want to do an... <laughs> did, did, did you get that was motorboating? Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't expect that. <laughs> Nobody expects random motorboating. You want to do an anal probe? Help your fucking selves. <laughs> just... I need to say it all again because I would just want to. According to the TV show Forensic Investigators, when detectives, oh, you know what? They probably want to have seances to connect with their, like, their cats that have passed over the Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, that was one of um, Fitzherbert's uh, alibis. He was at a seance. Yeah, but maybe they're um, just trying to get in touch with like their, their pets who have passed on. Well, maybe they could just ask Kathleen who killed her. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it didn't work, did it? Oh, God, now I'm stuck in this voice forever. (laughs) No, so am I. I'm stuck like this too. Yeah, you know, 
I'm not entirely happy with, you know, who I am, but uh, I can grow a good beard. Oh, you're amazing at growing. Thank you. Just body you hair, pointed face it out. hair. I know. Yeah. That's the one compliment you'll take, isn't it? I'll take that. Yeah, no, no point trying to give you any others. You'll no. you'll you'll bat them off like oh. you were trying to get rid of a, an oncoming magpie. Oh. But that, that's, that's right. one you that's one you go. Yeah, you know what? I fucking can. I fucking do. Nice ah, beard, Barney. Yeah. Nice beard, Barney. Shut up, baby. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Hey, Barney. Yeah. Do you know you're a lot prettier when you smile? I mean, maybe you should think about smiling more. <laughs> yeah, it's rather exciting news to find male blah blah until you look at someone it has no value. Ah, oh, that's the spirit, toots. <laughs> Make us a cup of tea, love. <laughs> Go over here. I want to do some random motorboating. Oh, that wasn't motorboating. Mm, that sounded like something else entirely. How long can you do that for? I, I want just like an answer in minutes because I don't want to have to sit here the whole time that it's happening. Well, I've never done it before, so I don't know. You've never done this before. You've never made a farty noise with your mouth before. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the number of dead ends we hit. Jesus Christ. Lucky we can walk backwards. Or we I, I, I wasn't doing that for informational or comedic value. <laughs> That's good because it had none of either. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it had any, any kind of value. Value is a very strong word. <laughs> <laughs> Police began, no, they didn't. Yes, they did. They yeah, really did. They did, actually. They yeah, did. It totally, they, they really totally, did. They completely, they did begin, yes. All men who knew Kathleen were asked to give a blood sample. Of course, they couldn't demand samples, Tara. It had to be voluntary. Give me your DNA. You don't have to, but give me your no, DNA. Give it to me now. See, if a woman says that, it's probably just going to be assumed to be sexual, right? Give me your DNA. <laughs> give me your fucking DNA. All right, sorry, oh, I digress. God. Well, you didn't like that? I really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your DNA. <laughs> Give me your DNA. <laughs> That's how I ask for it when I haunt people's dreams. <laughs> when, when I appear as an apparition in haunted that, houses. Is that how you make love to your boyfriend? <laughs> Give me your DNA. <laughs> 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 Victor Lachati told media. When I was asked to give DNA, I realised the last thing you should do is refuse because that never looks good. Never looks good. <laughs> Yum. No. Yum. I have inside information. <laughs> you know those ones in Fortitude Valley, they're really good. Mm. Detectives observed Mike spitting on the pavement. Yeah, like all the other people in Fortitude Valley were doing. After he... <laughs> they like that, are they? Uh, let's just say I, I haven't had the best time. We have some listeners from Fortitude Valley, so let's be careful. I've only here. really walked through it, but I've seen the things I've seen. <laughs> oh, the things I've seen. Yeah, yeah it's, a bit, it's a bit freaky. Stop. It's a little bit freaky, isn't it? Stop playing with the pens. No. Now. <laughs> All right, come on, fucko. When pressed to answer if he'd ever been to her house, he replied, I don't even know where she lives. <laughs> I 
I really do like that voice. Oh, that's the best voice you do. That's <laughs> my new favourite voice in the world. Oh, I've got tears in my eyes. Detectives classified Fitzherbert as someone who is DNA aware. He sat in the one position for over six hours, not going to the dunny. I'm not going to the dunny. (laughs) No. I will not. I will not go to the dunny. No. Oh, would you like a drink or a cup of tea? No. (laughs) Would you like to go to the bathroom? No. He would say dunny. I'm not doing it. No comment. Repeatedly declaring he had never met Dr. Kathleen Marshall. I've never met her. No. (laughs) (sighs) Not only was Brendo smoking... Yeah, sorry, when you do the cat stuff, it distracts me. Sorry, it's just that he's rubbing against my pole. I thought you were into that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my mic stand. That really came out wrong. <laughs> I really regret that. I regret it too. <clears throat> if you would like to support us, visit our website. If you just want to buy us a drink. <laughs> what the fuck, Satan? <laughs> Sonic pressure on my head since 1997. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 